to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today, and I'll be joined on today's show by my colleague Andy Eubank. He's going to review a mostly lower week in the grain markets, as well as Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, who has a warmer near-term weather outlook coming up in the Indiana Farm Forecast. C.J. Miller, Sabrina Halverson, and Elise Koning join me to bring you the top news from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture, including an update on Mexico's ban of GMO corn from the U.S., how conflicts in the Middle East might impact fertilizer prices for farmers here, and I'll tell you about a company born out of Purdue University that's looking to simplify the H-2A Temporary Ag Worker Program. Let's begin today in Washington, D.C. It's already been four months since Congress voted to extend the previous farm bill by a year, but your lawmakers in D.C. still haven't come up with a new one. C.J. Miller reports now on how one Hoosier ag leader is pushing members of Congress to get it done sooner rather than later. I think there is still a chance to get to Farm Bill. I tend to be a bit more on the optimistic side. Life's pretty miserable if you're always negative. And that's Indiana native Ted McKinney, who serves as CEO of the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, or NASDA for short. He says his concern is that lawmakers are losing valuable floor time in Congress to iron out a new farm bill. Our view is that we really need to get this done by March and April. We know that the leadership of both the House and Senate Ag Committee want to do that, but it's floor time that's becoming the pinch point now. McKinney says that NASDA is pushing lawmakers to increase federal funding for ag research at land-grant universities like Purdue. It's important. People say that. But gosh, the last two farm bills, it's been sixth out of five in priorities, 11th out of 10. And man, are we falling behind on the international stage in terms of our support for ag research. We can't always leave that to the corporations. He also wants to make sure that any new regulations in the next farm bill are helpful for Indiana's farmers and ag businesses not hurtful. So, of course, we're going to be very involved because we are co-regulators in our states. Most people think that EPA, FDA, USDA are the regulators, and they are. But most people don't know that a lot, I dare say most of the regulations that are instituted by Congress and then shaped by those agencies, it's all handed off to state departments of ag. So we take a great deal of interest in shaping those properly because we say with pride, we're the closest to that farmer, that rancher, that processor. So you bet we're going to be involved in any number of areas. In addition to a new farm bill, McKinney says another aspect that needs improvement is ag trade. We're lifting up international trade, and for sure, the current administration's paying some attention to that, but the complete walk away from what I've always known as a free trade agreement and the focus on market access, which is largely bringing tariffs down, has just been vacated. There's no attention at all being paid to that. We're lifting up trade policy. You can hear more from NASDA CEO and Tipton County native Ted McKinney at HoosierAgToday.com and the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. I'm C.J. Miller. With the extension of the existing farm bill, farmers will have the same commodity title choices this year as they've had since 2019. Farmers will need to decide between ARC or PLC, that's agricultural risk coverage at the county or individual level, or price loss coverage. This decision needs to be shared with the Farm Service Agency by March 15th. 
Danny Poff is a crop insurance agent and grain market advisor for Strategic Farm Marketing based in Champaign, Illinois. It's an important decision this year because traditionally I think most folks have been electing PLC on their corn as only protecting price with their base acres at FSA. But what's happened is we've had pretty good farm economy the last couple years and that trailing Olympic average has beefed up a better revenue guarantee by electing Arc County. So I think producers are going to be looking for guaranteed dollars wherever they can find them. Poff spoke at the annual First Farmers Bank and Trust Ag Summit event at Purdue's Ross Aid Stadium Wednesday. He used Purdue's home Tippecanoe County as an example. The revenue guarantee in Arc County went up about $150 compared to last year. Uh, the tie on that, though, connecting to crop insurance is, you know, I think almost 50% of our policies had SCO on the crop insurance. And the tie with that is you had to be PLC in order to get SCO. So if we're switching gears to take the free Arc County election to FSA, it will also have crop insurance ramifications. So you need to sit down with a trusted advisor to vet that out to see what's the best fit for you. To speak with Poff or one of his colleagues about that decision, visit sfarmmarketing.com. Well, beef producers are concerned that some proposed regulations from USDA may end up going too far. Our Sabrina Halverson has the story. National Cattlemen's Beef Association Vice President of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane, says they're keeping an eye on proposed USDA rulemaking for the beef industry. We're watching with some concern uh, some of what we're seeing coming out of USDA. Obviously, they continue to be very focused on what they're calling their competition agenda. We believe as well that the competition is really important in the marketplace. Our producers want a fair environment to operate in, but they also want an ability to differentiate their product and seek premiums for the cattle that they're raising. He says it's possible the proposed Packers and Stockyards rulemaking could be too much. If we get to a point where USDA is inserting themselves in the marketplace through regulation in an effort to achieve their version of fairness, and if that version of fairness looks like someone who doesn't receive the same premiums, you know, being able to litigate or litigate at scale on every one of those transactions, that is going to disincentivize the supply chain from paying out those premiums. Lane believes that could lower the overall quality of U.S. beef. We're producing the highest quality beef in the U.S. right now that the world has ever seen. And we incentivize that through premiums in the marketplace, you know, better genetics, different feeding regimens, meeting that consumer demand and producing what the consumer is looking for. And that comes through market signals. And he says it's not what producers want. And they don't want to see a return to commodity cattle. They don't want USDA inserting themselves in the marketplace like they're trying to with their packers and stockyards rulemaking, picking winners and losers, or worse, pushing for an environment where everybody gets paid the same for their cattle regardless of what they are. And that's the danger of some of the ideas that are being contemplated in the Packers and Stockyards rulemaking that uh, Secretary Vilsack has been pushing for. Read more at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Sabrina Halverson. And I'm Eric Pfeiffer on Hoosier Ag This Week from Hoosier Ag Today. We've got more farm news on the way and that Indiana farm forecast is right around the corner. First, let's check in on the markets with Andy Eubank. Andy, it was a rough week for the grain markets, especially soybean futures. Right, you are, Eric, and I think you led into my market report a week ago with the very same line. But yes, a weekday in beans on Friday, a week week overall. We'll have settlements coming up. First, market analysis. I grabbed that at the end of Friday trade from Brian Basting, Advanced Trading. Brian, everything sells off as we go into the weekend. Wheat, the last holdout, working higher much of the first half of the trading session before moving a little lower. Chicago wheat, that is. But uh, we continue range-bound and under pressure in these markets. Certainly a very strong dollar index was a part of that on Friday. 
and the supply and demand picture still just not real rosy. Yeah, we had some mixed news, Andy, from the export sales report on Thursday. A marketing year low of soybean export sales. I think the market is looking looking at a very cheap Brazilian soybean basis now. So end users are very happy to wait until those beans work into the pipeline, which will be shortly now. And it actually canceled a sizable amount of soybean sales, unknown destinations. So only 6 million bushels sold of, of U.S. beans in the latest week. And, you know, there may be some pops here and there, but, but um, it sure feels like that, that that window of opportunity we had on beans is, is closing. If it hasn't already closed, it's closing rapidly in terms of our opportunity to to get our foot in the door world export-wise. But for corn, i just say that it's, it's a mixed bag. We had some end-of-the-month short covering and um, gave us a little boost early in the week, but that has melted away here the last couple days. Um, looking at some mostly good growing conditions in Argentina, it has been hot and dry the last week. However, the crop was in good shape. Their corn crop was in good shape. It's pollinating now as we speak. Analyst Brian Basting, he's an economist with Advanced Trading. Now, settlements from Friday trade. March corn, 442 and three quarters, losing another four and a half cents to end the week. May contract down four and three quarters, 453 and a half. 14 and three quarters lower March beans, 1188 and a half. And May is now down under $12 at 1198 and a quarter, losing 15 and a half cents. March wheat, 599 and three quarters, a penny and three quarters lower. The meat's mostly higher. February live cattle, 180.55, up 80 cents. Febbling hogs, down 35 at 75.45. Deferred contracts up just a little. You're up to date now on the markets. Much more, though, still to come. I'm Andy Eubank on Who's Your Ag this week. From seed, grain, and feed companies to crop protection, farm implements, and technology, agribusiness is all around us here in Indiana. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. At ACI, our sole focus is on the needs of our members. We advocate, educate, inform, and we invite you to join us in our mission. Visit our website, inagribiz.org, to become a member. That's inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. Mild air dominates our discussions in the weather forecast. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. And we're going to be talking about temperatures well above normal for the next little bit. On average, 10 to 20 degrees above normal for this time of year. I think the warmest day is going to turn out to be next Wednesday. But before we get there, temperatures plateauing a little bit here as we finished out this past week and as we go through this weekend. So we're mild for sure, but it's not like we're building temperatures every day. I'm looking for us solidly in the lower to middle 40s all weekend. You get into southern Indiana, low 50s possible and we're doing it all with no precipitation sunshine blue sky should dominate here over the next couple of days and we should start to see some good dry down even though we're not building temperatures and getting warm warm we are seeing the evaporation kick in and also we're seeing soil profiles open up and some of these puddles of water able to move down through the soil profile as well 
This is what happens when you string together some drier days. Now, getting into next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's when we make our next leg up in temperatures. Wednesday looks to me to be a very warm day indeed, and we'll put together some very nice drying there. Sunshine dominates uh, very nice spring days. That's the thing. It's going to feel like spring. It is not. Remember, we're still mid-February by the time this warm air is done, nothing more. You get into the later part of next week. Let's talk about Thursday. We see a frontal boundary coming out of the Great Plains. It's moving a little faster on the northern edge, so I think by Thursday midday afternoon, we may end up having to talk about some scattered rain showers, but I think the biggest moisture comes through overnight Thursday night through Friday. A few hundreds to maybe half an inch max coverage around 75-80% of Indiana. So I think we have a a good chance of getting wet, but we don't have a lot of moisture at this point in time. The other thing that the front is doing, besides the moisture, is changing our pattern a bit with temperature. Colder air comes in behind this, and so we're going to be chilly on Friday and Saturday. But it's not brutal cold. We're only just getting back close to where we should be for mid-February temperatures. And once again, I don't think that we're done with the warm air. Models are showing another resurgence of warm air in the southwestern United States and, and south-central U.S. for next to Sunday. And so I think that leads us to the week of the 12th being well, somewhat of a yo-yo, bouncing back and forth from above normal and below normal temperatures. Now, anytime you see change like that, it means that we also could see better precipitation potential. But right now, I'm looking at a pretty dry atmosphere, at least as the changes start. Uh, what happens through the rest of the week is still up in the air, but I'm saying look for wild temperature variations the week of the 12th. I'm meteorologist Ryan Martin. It's like fertilizer for your brain. Every weekday morning, the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter arrives in your inbox with the latest farm news, markets, and weather information, the kind of stuff you're going to need that day. So make sure you're feeding your brain with its free, easy to read, and important input. Sign up for the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter at HoosierAgToday.com and the Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and for a while now, you've been hearing about Mexico's ongoing ban on imports of U.S. GMO corn for human consumption. And that's why one of your lawmakers from here in Indiana has been speaking out to support the state's corn producers. This ban is ill-advised. It's illegal. And that's Senator Todd Young of Indiana. He says that Mexico's ban is flawed for a number of different reasons. It doesn't adhere to globally recognized scientific standards. It's a breach of the USMCA free trade agreement. It's detrimental to food security in Mexico in particular, but uh, more broadly within the United States and our food systems. It hurts agricultural sustainability. It will stifle future ag tech innovation. And that's why Young says he's trying to get the White House to tackle the issue. So what I've attempted to do here in Washington is push back and uh, encourage our administration to engage on this issue with the government of Mexico. I pressured the Biden administration uh, to consider all options that might be available in an effort to hold Mexico to their trade commitments. Even though the U.S. Trade Representative's Office has requested a dispute resolution panel under the USMCA, some officials in Washington may be waiting it out for Mexico's next president to take office in October 
because Mexico's current president, who established the ban, can't run for re-election. Some officials are hopeful that Mexico's next president may just overturn that GMO corn ban. Young also told Hoosier Ag today about his priorities for the next farm bill. Market access is uh, a top priority. We have to, as with any business, continue to keep growing if we intend to thrive and survive in the future. We want to promote Indiana and America-specific ag products and want to continue to make sure that foreign markets receive them with open arms. He also says the next farm bill needs to preserve crop insurance programs. Which is essential to the business model of modern ag operations. We want to create no uncertainty about the continued viability and, and sustainability of that program. You can hear my full conversation with Senator Todd Young at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, as ethanol provides additional opportunities for Indiana's farmers to sell their corn, one area for growth within the ethanol industry is sustainable aviation fuel. It currently provides for less than 1% of the total amount of jet fuel that's used. However, Eric Pfeiffer reports that a new facility has just opened in Georgia, which is now the first plant in the world that can take ethanol and turn it into sustainable aviation fuel. What was at one time conceived to be impossible, now has been proved on this location today as possible. That's Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in Soperton, Georgia, for the opening of the Lonza Jet Freedom Pines Fuels Facility, the first such plant in the world that can take ethanol and turn it into sustainable aviation fuel. Vilsack says if things go as planned, there could be plants like this all over the country, generating a lot of demand for the feedstock to make ethanol. There need to be and ought to be multiple feedstocks uh, in order for this market opportunity to be available uh, all over the United States, not just in one or two regions of the country. Each year, an alarming number of farms and rural businesses go out of business. But Vilsack says this project, this industry provides a ray of hope to reverse that trend. Alonza Jed website says the facility has created 250 jobs for the local community with the potential for 80 more as a result of the facility and it will provide a $75 million boost to the local economy. Less than 1% of jet fuel used today is sustainably sourced. Vilsack says the aviation industry wants and needs more. At the end of the day, if we're really to mitigate the consequences of a changing climate, the transportation sector clearly has to get to a net zero future. In order for it to get to a net zero future, uh, aviation uh, has to get there as well. Uh, and it can't get there without a sustainable aviation fuel. So this is a day to celebrate a very significant step forward. On their website, LonzaJet again touts their versatile production method that can use any low-carbon ethanol, like corn ethanol. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. Last weekend, a drone attack on a military base in Jordan killed three American soldiers and injured more than 40 others. Now many are wondering what the U.S. response to that attack will be. Because of the U.S. involvement in the Middle East, Josh Linville with StoneX says it could ultimately affect the pricing and availability of fertilizer this year for farmers. The worry is if all of a sudden we have to start talking about a storyline that considers the inability to transit vessels through the Persian Gulf, the world will focus on oil shipments. But from our marketplace, from a nitrogen standpoint, there are millions upon millions of tons of urea exports that come 
from that body of water, from those countries that surround that body of water. And if all of a sudden Iran starts taking shots at vessels, you start to shut down those exports, the global S&D for urea changes drastically overnight. The market's going to respond to that. Read more about the impact that Middle East tensions could have on fertilizer prices at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, perhaps you can think of an Indiana farmer who helped you in your agriculture journey and how much they helped you with your farming operation. With the latest episode of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Elise Koning shares the story of one farmer who influenced countless others across Indiana and around the country. Dad would always encourage folks to do something. Do something on your farm to learn. It will grow from there. Jay Brandt farmed in Ohio with his father Dave, who passed away suddenly last year. Dave Brandt's passing has left a hole in the farming community. On the latest episode of the Hat Soil Health podcast, Jay talks about his father's legacy. So he's very concerned about erosion and loss of topsoil. So we began utilizing conservation practices. noticed the improvement in soil quality and crop performance. All those practices led and gave dad the opportunity to share those learnings with other people and to be really an advocate for conservation for no-till. Jay says that his father's challenges helped him empathize with other farmers. Dad recognized that as being a young farmer himself who had just lost his father. He knew the pressures of society on performance and what that meant for young people. Also having served, you know, in the military through a war effort. He was aware of the challenge mentally. So he was very aware and wanted to provide that support structure for people so they would have the self-confidence to be successful. You can hear the full conversation on the latest episode of the Hat Soil Health Podcast brought to you by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative at HoosierAgToday.com. I'm Elise Koning. Thank you, Elise. Coming up next here on Hoosier Ag This Week, You'll hear about one of the world's largest turkey hatcheries, which happens to be located just south of Terre Haute. Also, Eric Pfeiffer will join us once again to share the story of a company that helps Indiana farmers to simplify the H-2A process to find ag labor. All those stories and much more are coming your way next, so don't go anywhere. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. The High Ground Podcast. Everything from energy and fuel. It's a Memorial Day weekend, going to be 87 to 89, maybe low 90s all weekend, so we thought we'd bring Scott Heine in. So we'll talk about home heat. <laughs> <laughs> to agriculture. Anytime we can help a farmer grow their business and meet their goals, that's a proud moment for me. And, well, other things. For some reason, like and subscribe. We don't know why, but that's important. We want you to do it on your own, but we're going to tell you. (laughs) Listen now on all platforms. Thank you once again for joining us here this weekend on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and you may not know that Indiana ranks fourth in the U.S. for turkey production. And one of the big reasons the state has such a high ranking for turkeys is in part because of an ag company called Select Genetics. They have a hatchery south of Terre Haute in Vigo County. The hatchery there is one of the largest in the world. It's going to produce around 40 to 60 million eggs are set in that hatchery per year. And that's Dr. Ben Weilman, Director of Veterinary and Avian Sciences at Select Genetics. They're known for producing poults, or baby turkeys, and turkey eggs. He says one of the reasons they're located here in Indiana 
is because of their customer base, which includes Far Best Farms, based in Dubois County. We can transport eggs uh, a little more efficient than we can the birds. And so having a hatchery right there near a, a significant customer base like we do in Indiana, is the reason that we're there. Dr. Wildman also says that Indiana's interstate system is another reason why Select Genetics chose the Hoosier State. You see across Indiana different logistics and trucking groups located there. We have great access to a lot of areas in the country. When you look at the geography and where Indiana is located, you can get to a lot of places within a day's drive of that area. And that's important for us in the animal welfare aspect of it to have as little time as possible between hatching and to that farmer's barn. Another thing that makes Indiana attractive for turkey production is the state's corn and soybean production. That grain and corn base feed is the biggest input to a lot of places and being located there in Indiana is also important for that. You can hear my full conversation with Dr. Ben Wildman with Select Genetics as he talks more about turkey breeding and hatching at the facility in Vigo County, check it out at HoosierAgToday.com. If you ask farmers what the number one issue facing agriculture today is, many of them will say labor. The H-2A program is there to help farmers get the help they need, but the process, which includes hundreds of steps and a tedious amount of time to complete, could be described as a lesson in frustration. Eric Pfeiffer joins us once again to tell you all about Croft, a company looking to simplify the H-2A process. With Croft, we built one of the first software platforms that really go right to the heart of the matter. And we immediately help growers and employers save time, money, and as you pointed out, hassle around all of the moving parts to that H-2A process. That's Scott Prince, CEO and co-founder of Croft, a company that got its start at Purdue University. The H-2A process has inherently burdensome barriers. Croft helps by getting your house in order, getting your farm in order so that all of your documents, data, just worker activities are in one place and you know it has the guardrails that are compliant with any of the uh, either federal DOL, state workforce agency, or any of the other guidelines or, or laws. That's an important confidence to build as you move forward so that you can get back to what you do the best, which is farming, not necessarily being an accountant or a lawyer or a you know legal uh, professional around a, a very complicated federal program like H-2A. A 10-minute demo with Croft will show what the software is all about. They also offer free trials where you can input your own data or use their example data to test the system for yourself. Only then would we like you to become a paying customer, which is ultimately for us, we just are trying to earn a, a modest profit here, but it's only a few thousand dollars a year. And the ROI is tenfold usually when we start talking to the customers who use this in a variety of different ways. Get started by visiting withcroft.com. You can find a link on our website. I'm Eric Pfeiffer. And if you're a landowner wanting to learn more about the biology and management of forest, or if you want to learn more about the resources available to help form your property management goals, then sign up for the Purdue Extension Forest Management for the Private Woodland Owner Short Course. Liz Jackson with the Indiana Forestry and Woodland Owners Association joins us now. Liz, tell us about this short course and what it's all about. It meets one night a week for eight weeks. 
Plus, there's a Saturday outdoor field day where people can get out in the woods with forestry and wildlife experts. It's going to start in February in Dubois and Jackson counties. And then in March, there'll be courses in Wabash and Stark counties. And in those courses, you get tools to help you meet your goals and make informed decisions. And they're taught by forestry and wildlife experts. During the eight weeks, they have topics like tree identification, forest management planning, considerations for selling timber, and wildlife habitat management. Fantastic. How much to sign up for the short course, Liz? So the cost of these programs is $50 or $30 for additional family members. You can sign up now online at ifwoa.org slash events. And you can see these programs as well as many other programs. Once again, it's the Purdue Extension Forest Management for the Private Woodland Owner Short Course. You can also find that link at our website, HoosierAgToday.com. And that wraps up another edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. If you missed any part of this week's show, you can download the podcast version of today's show. You can find it at HoosierAgToday.com. For Eric Pfeiffer, Andy Eubank, Sabrina Halverson, Elise Koning, and our hat chief meteorologist, Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.